Welcome to Unfolding Words. This is episode number 40. But what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and every week I come and share biblical truth to offer life for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you so much for joining me today, whether you're washing dishes, on your morning commute, drinking your morning coffee, taking the dog for a walk, running errands. I just so appreciate that you bring me along and include me as part of your daily routine every week. Today, I want to talk about declaring who Jesus is. And sometimes we take this for granted and sometimes we underestimate who Jesus is and the importance of declaring who he is. And it's easy to declare who Jesus is when we're at church, when we're around like-minded people, people who know who Jesus is. It's very easy for us to sing his praises and to say who he is, but it's an altogether different experience when we are doing this in a work setting or outside of church. How can we learn to lift Jesus up in an environment that's contrary to our beliefs or how we're living for Jesus, or where it may not be politically correct, or where people think following Jesus is just another religion to be blended in with their beliefs. Mark, the gospel writer, offers a short but powerful lesson on this. So I'm going to be camped out for a bit in Mark chapter 8, reading from the ESV verses 27 through 30. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now, an interesting thing about these verses is that it starts with a location, the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, when you're observing scripture, it's important to notice everything. And one thing is when a location is listed, it's never just there for no reason. It's a very important reason why a location is included. So we're going to take a look at that today. Now, Jesus had taken his disciples from Bethsaida, which we read about in verses prior to Caesarea Philippi. And if you look on the biblical maps, this is about a 32-mile round-trip journey. This is no easy feat in biblical times because they didn't have cars or motorbikes. This is a foot journey, 32 miles round-trip. Why would Jesus do this? We're going to find out why. Caesarea Philippi was an interesting place for this confession that Peter make, an interesting place for Jesus to even pose this question, because it was a hot spot of pagan worship, which was a place full of pagan temples in a predominantly Gentile area. Caesarea Philippi was located in a lush area near the foot of Mount Hermon, which was a city that was dominated by immoral activity and lots of pagan worship. It was known at one time in the Old Testament as Baal Hermon or Baal Gad, and this site was later named Panias after the Greek god Pan, who was worshipped here. It was referred to as the Rock of the Gods. In the center was a cave called the Gates of Hades. And in this area, a spring emerged from a large cave, which was the center of pagan worship. And beginning in the 3rd century BC, sacrifices were cast into this cave as offerings to the god Pan. Now, Pan was a half man, half goat god of fright. Think of the word panic. That's the root of that. And it's often depicted playing the flute. Now, in this area, 
adjacent to the cave was a rocky sort of um, landscape with a, a series of niches that were hewn into these rocks. And in these niches, there were statues of deities that were placed in each of them. These niches were depicted on the currency, on coins of that day. There was one niche that housed a sculpture of Echo, the mountain nymph, who was also Pan's companion. There was another niche that held a statue of Pan's father, Hermes, who was the son of a nymph, Maia. And there were inscriptions in these niches that mentioned those who gave large donations to these false gods. Now, in this day, the pagans believed that their fertility gods lived in this underworld during the winter and they returned to the earth each spring. And they saw the water as a symbol of the underworld. Now, as I mentioned, this place was very um, fruitful when it came to water, lots of very bountiful springs. And they thought that their gods traveled to and from that world, the underworld, through the caves. To the pagan mind, the cave and the spring waters at Caesarea Philippi created a gate to the underworld. So they believed that their city was literally at the gates of the underworld or the gates of hell. In order to entice the return of their god Pan, every year the people of Caesarea Philippi engaged in some very horrible deeds. I won't mention them here, but if you want to go and research, you can. Um, some of the acts that they engaged in to get Pan, their god, to return. So they engaged in prostitution and some very detestable sexual acts. And when Jesus brought his disciples to this area, they must have been shocked. Like, what in the world are we doing here, Jesus? Why did you bring us here of all places? It was like the red light district of their day. Caesarea Philippi was a world or a city, was a region where Jews would have avoided at all costs, just because of the reputation of the things that took place there. It was a city where people were literally knocking on the doors of hell. But Jesus, we know he always has a purpose in what he does. And he led the 12 disciples here into the heart of a pagan region to ask them a very important question. So in the middle of these temples where an emperor and even a goat were seen and revered as gods and worshiped, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And their initial answer was nothing new. They said, some say you're a prophet. Some say that you're John or perhaps Elijah. But listen carefully to Jesus's second question. It's very pointed and focused. He asked, but who do you say that I am? And all at once, Peter, hot-headed Peter, <laughs> he seems to be the only one who's present to answer correctly. He doesn't answer the question the way that Jesus asked it. He doesn't say, we say that you are. He speaks boldly and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. We see this in Mark 8 and 29. Jesus presented a very clear challenge to his disciples with his words at Caesarea Philippi. He didn't want his disciples to be hiding from evil. He led them right to the center of evil. He wanted them to, in a sense, storm the gates of hell with the identity of who Jesus Christ truly was, the true and living God. He asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter boldly replied, in that place where the gates of hell stood high, you are the son of the living God. It's interesting that 
there was such a contrast that the, that they made this declaration in this place where false gods were revered and people who donated to them were celebrated with their names emblazoned on these rocks. In Matthew, we get a fuller account of this exchange. We see this in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. And when Jesus asked him, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Interesting that Jesus used the word rock in a place where there were niches for pagan gods and and idols where ungodly values abounded. And in a place where these gates of Hades were celebrated, gates were defensive structures in the ancient world. And by saying that the gates of hell would be overcome, Jesus was suggesting that those gates were going to be attacked. And declaring who Jesus was, was one of the first ways that they were going to attack these gates of hell. They were standing literally at the gate of Hades and the disciples I know I would have been, were overwhelmed by Jesus' challenge. They had studied under Jesus for several years now, and now he was urging them, commissioning them to an enormous task to attack evil head on. He was calling them to build the church in the very places that were filled with moral corruption. And Jesus presented this challenge with his words at Caesarea Philippi. He didn't want his disciples hiding from evil. He wanted them to literally storm the gates of hell. And this challenge is for us today. We as Jesus followers cannot successfully confront evil when we're embarrassed about our faith. We cannot successfully storm the gates of hell when we're confused about who Jesus is or about the tenets of the gospel. We have to be informed about what we believe. We have to stand firmly on that. After Jesus spoke to his disciples about storming the gates of hell, he also gave them another word of caution. He said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. This is Luke 9 and 26. Jesus knew that his followers would face ridicule and backlash, suffering because of their courage to confront evil. But his words came with a very ambitious challenge. No matter how hard the resistance, his followers should never hide their faith in God. And this is the same for us. No matter the clapback, no matter how people respond to you, no matter the threat, whether it's a threat to your employment, your income, your position, you cannot hide your faith in Jesus. Now, Jesus could have brought his disciples to the temple in Jerusalem, a mount in Jerusalem where everyone knew who he was or most people knew who he was. They understood the work that he did. But he brings them to a place where perhaps they were offering sacrifices at that time. Maybe they were engaged in detestable acts. We don't know what was going on at the time or what the backdrop was. It's clear that Jesus did this out in public. There may have been followers or worshipers of this pagan God's present to hear Peter's declaration and to hear Jesus's question to his followers. In a city that was filled with false idols and gods, Jesus asked his disciples to commit to the one true God, Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, he's doing the same today. In a world where it's okay to love Jesus and live your truth and mix the gospel with new age beliefs or dabble in Buddhism or some other trendy spiritual fad, 
Jesus is calling us, his followers, to proclaim his identity in a world where false gods abound. And today, our false gods promise prosperity and happiness. We have false gods of success and career and money. They may look different than the false gods of the ancient world, but these false gods still exist today. And if we follow them and believe in them and celebrate these false gods, they are not going to deliver true and eternal and everlasting life like Jesus does. As followers of Jesus Christ today, we have to heed the words of Jesus, especially when we're tempted to hide our faith because of embarrassment or fear or lack of knowledge, whatever it is. Our world is filled with those who have gained the whole world but have lost their souls. If we hide our faith, those around us, they may never find the salvation they need. We have to declare the name of Jesus, not just in words, but with our lives also. If we say that we're living for Jesus, then our lives have to line up with that. People have to see that we're living a life that's different from the lives lives that they are living. If they're to come to Jesus, they have to know that there is a difference between those people who follow Jesus and those who don't. So will you stand in the modern Caesarea Philippi of the world today and society and proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah? Are you doing that? And not just in words in the church, but are you doing that out in the world where people don't know Jesus? Now, prior to this scene in Mark's gospel, Jesus had just healed a blind man. But even after healing the man, he still wasn't able to see clearly. Jesus had to go back and touch him again. And the scripture says, and he saw everything clearly. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 25. And in verse 18, he said to his his disciples, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? This was not just a question for the disciples, but it's a question for us as well. Are you seeing and hearing Jesus clearly as the Messiah? Are you clear on who he is? If not, then you have to get that straight first before you can go out and declare Jesus and who he is in the world. In a culture that embraces diversity, it's easy to get lost among a sea of untruths or half-truths about Jesus. And unfortunately, many people have embraced a distorted Christianity that tries to be politically correct. We want to live a life for Jesus that doesn't rock the boat, that doesn't upset certain segments of our community. We don't want to offend anyone, so we don't want to say anything about sin. We kind of tiptoe about around those things that are clear, that Jesus is clear on, that are black and white in the scripture. So rather than confronting things head on, we kind of rather say, oh, I'm going to love on this person. But sometimes declaring who Jesus is, is calling into question sinful things that people are involved in. Sometimes we as Christians try to avoid sinful culture altogether. We've been taught to protect our anointing, and we hide in churches and schools and in our homes, and we want to shut the door on evil influences of the culture. Looking at Jesus's life, it's clear that this is not the route to go. If Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, which is like the red light district of his time, how much more are we to take the light and the salt that we are out into the world? Jesus set the example for us. We are to follow it. So Jesus challenged his followers to be salt and light, even in Caesarea Philippi, and to proclaim the truth without shame. Our schools and our churches should become areas where we're built up, like they're staging areas where we're equipped to go out to the Caesarea Philippi's of the world. They shouldn't be fortresses for us where we go and hide ourselves, but where we're equipped to confront a sinful world instead of hiding from it. Jesus knows that the pagan world 
will resist us. It resisted him, but he challenges us to go there anyway and to build his church in those very places that are most morally corrupt. And as we listen to Jesus' challenge today, we as Christians should ask ourselves the most important question. Are we clearly proclaiming who Jesus is without shame? Interesting that Jesus chose to deliver this great object lesson to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. It was in that pagan setting that he encouraged his disciples to build a church that would overcome the worst evils. And the fact that Peter's confession occurs in this pagan area is remarkable as well. When you discover the history of the area, and the traditions associated with it. And I do encourage you to go and study and learn more about Caesarea Philippi. Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, takes on an even greater significance. This confession is declared in the place of the serpent. It's the darkest place possible. Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was, and the light of God shone in the gate of Hades through Peter's confession. So who are you, saying that Jesus is. Is he just someone to pray to for success and prosperity? Is he a good guy to model ourselves after? Or is he truly the Messiah? And if he is, you should talk like it and walk like it. If you're truly a believer, then we have to proclaim this truth loud and clear with our words and behavior. Just a little food for thought. Hopefully I gave you some desire to go and study the scriptures concerning Caesarea Philippi. And I'm praying that Jesus's challenge to his disciples is also an encouragement for you to go out into your Caesarea Philippi, your neighborhoods that are like Caesarea Philippi, those places in your city, and to declare the truth of who God is. That's it for this week's episode of Unfolding Words. I'll meet you back here next week as we uncover more truths from God's word. And I loved if you come and find me on social media. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Unfolding Words. Reach out. Let me know that you're listening. I'd love to say hi to you. Until next week, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.